Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, send it to me, uh, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and uh, become one of our friends on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. Before we uh, do get started, I want to remind you of a couple other great podcasts out there for those of you who enjoy the golden age of radio. Uh, be sure and check out uh, The War, uh, which uh, traces the war from the uh, beginning until victory. And uh, right now, if you start listening now, you can hear some of the late war episodes, but we have uh, material going all the way back to the pre-war era. And uh, you can follow that at thewar.greatdetectives.net. Also, laserandsword.com, the old-time Radio Superman show, uh, currently uh, being hosted by uh, Lang Dowler while I'm taking some time to record the war. And you can follow that at laserandsword.com. I also uh, have an article up this uh, weekend in which I will review... The last Nero Wolf uh, novel, A Death in the Family. And you can follow all of my reviews and articles from the Great Detectives uh, website uh, through your Kindle. And you can try that service out free for two weeks. Uh, just go ahead and search for Great Detectives of Old Time Radio in the Kindle store. Now, here are two episodes of Police Headquarters. Mrs. Uh, Smallwood killed, and then Dr. Thornton's wife missing. Police Headquarters calling emergency hospital in the 100 block on Kenwood Way. In the middle of the block, a hit and run. Calling car 45, car 45. An ambulance follow-up to 127 Kenwood Way. That's all. Step on it, Sam. I'll track the fire on you. Stand back. Give us a little room. Oh, it's an old woman, Sam. Here, give me a hand. Yeah, send it by a car. The car marshal calls her waist. Well, there isn't much we can do for her until the ambulance doctor gets here. Just try to make her comfortable and... What's the matter? Feel her hand. My cold. Yes, and her body's beginning to stiffen. This isn't a hit-and-run case, Sam. Go to the box on the corner and call Captain Reynolds. Unless I'm badly mistaken, we have a very poorly disguised murder on our hands. Take it easy. Thanks, Captain. Sorry I couldn't get out to the scene of that accident when you called me. I sent Perkins, but he says you're not satisfied with the investigation. That's right, sir. What's on your mind, Mac? 
Well, I know I'm not on the detective detail, Captain, but I've got some ideas on this case, and by all that's holy, they're right. Well, what doesn't ring true? Everything. In the first place, when we reached the scene, the woman had just been found, and her hands were cold. In fact, the body was beginning to show rigor mortis. Well, perhaps she'd been struck down early in the evening. That doesn't fit either, Captain. Kenwood Way is a well-lighted street. There's plenty of travel both ways. At that time of night, there isn't a chance of a body remaining undiscovered for more than ten minutes at the most. That woman had been dead three hours or more. Ah, I see what you mean. Then there's something else. Sam and I have answered a lot of hit-and-run calls. In every case where a person has been run over by a heavy car, the body never moves after it's hit. We found this woman lying face down in the gutter, yet the tire marks were across the front of her body. You think she'd been killed elsewhere and her body carted to Kenwood Way? You hit it, Captain. Huh. Pretty slim evidence, Mac. All right, here's some more. This little old lady, whoever she was, was found in a house dress without pocketbook, gloves, or hat. Now, during these cool evenings, women don't go out without hat or coat and gloves. Hmm. And if that isn't enough, there wasn't any dirt or grease on the back of her dress. And Kenwood Way is a particularly dirty street. All right, McGrady. I'll push an investigation into this thing. And if you're interested, I'll give you a chance to follow it through. I'll try to make arrangements with your captain. Uh, give me Captain Morris, please. Oh, come in, Mac. Anything new on the case? Well, nothing worth mentioning, Captain. I question everyone in the neighborhood, and no one has ever seen the woman before. No one seems to know who she is or where she came from. Hmm. I got something, though, Captain. Of course, it may not be worthwhile, but anything that looks like a lead would be welcome to me. What's that? Well, a fellow who runs a smoke shop near the scene says that a big blue touring car passed up and down the street several times just before the body was found. He says the last time it passed his shop, it was traveling at a high rate of speed. All right. Put a pickup out on the car. Did you get a good description? Not very good, but it'll be enough to go on. It's all we've got, Captain. No, Mac. It isn't all we've got. No? No. Dr. Smith found a concussion on the side of the head that he said might have caused her death. He said it bore all the earmarks of a blow from a sandbag. Now we're getting somewhere. If we only knew who this woman was. Well, I have an idea that we'll know that very shortly. There wasn't a shred of identification on the body, but the morgue attendants filed a ring off the woman's finger, and it bore the inscription to Jesse from James, 1879. I gave the news to the afternoon papers. Mm, that isn't much to go on. But it brought returns as soon as, as it was published in the paper. Do you know Frank Egan? Oh, the fellow who was once hired by the city as public prosecutor? Yeah. Called me up about ten minutes ago. Said he saw the story in the paper and went down to the morgue to identify the body. He thinks it was hit and run. He's coming up here in a few minutes to give us a lowdown. Hmm, what's Egan doing now? Oh, only private practice as far as I know. He's a good lawyer. But a bum sport. I was in Judge McKinney's court one time when... Yes? Frank Egan is here to see you, Captain. Oh, uh, good. Uh, show him in. Yes, sir. This way, Mr. Egan. Oh, thanks. Hello, Captain. You remember me? Yes, yeah, yeah. Sit down. Uh, this is Officer McGrady. Glad to know you, Officer. Oh, yeah. Well, I've identified your hit-and-run victim, Captain. Yes? Yeah, she's a client of mine, Mrs. Jessie Smallwood. Are you positive of the identification? Yes, I knew her quite well. Where does she live? Over on Trenton, I think the number is 1621. She's been a client of mine since her husband died. She hasn't a living relation, not a soul in the world. Huh, too bad. Fortunately, she left enough money to cover her funeral expenses. I'll make the necessary arrangements. Not so fast, Egan. We'll be compelled to hold the body for a few days, at least until the inquest. Inquest? Yeah. You see, we have an idea that her death wasn't accidental. What? Do you know of anyone who'd profit by her death? 
I know. <laughs> Who'd want to kill a poor defenseless old woman? She she didn't have over a hundred dollars to her name. That's just what we're trying to find out. Well, that's your business, but it looks to me like accidental death. But not to us. Get your coat and hat, Mac. We're going out to the late Mrs. Smallwood's house on Trenton. If you'll just make sure of the address, Mr. Egan, you can run along home. You won't be needed. seems to be bolted on the inside. Yeah, let's try the back door. All right. Hey, I'll bet there's a door connecting the garage with the back part of the house. Mm, looks like it, Mac. Try the garage door. Yeah. Right. It's locked too, Captain. Now let me try this key. Ah, there we are. <laughs> You'd make a good cracksman, sir. <laughs> I might try it someday. This is the same tread that we found on Mrs. Smallwood's dress. And here's a spot where the tire track stops for a foot or so. Captain, that space represents where Mrs. Smallwood's body lay when the killer ran the car over to make it appear accidental. Captain, we'll have that bird inside of 24 hours. 
Yes? The boy's just brought Red Victor into headquarters, Captain. Good work. His mouthpiece is with him. Who is he? The mouthpiece is Frank Egan. Egan, huh? Bring them both in. Yes, sir. Send a stenographer in here. Here's the prisoner and his lawyer, sir. Ah, have chair, please. Thanks, Captain. Afternoon, officer. Close that door, Mac. Right. Uh, you can sit over there, Mac. Now, Fisher, I don't mind telling you that you're in a pretty tough spot. There's you. You both ain't got a thing on me. Nevertheless, I see you brought a lawyer down with you. Sure, I brought him. He's my boss. I drive for him. I'm wise, you bulls. You'd frame me the first chance you got. Frame him? Just like you said we did twice before, huh? Only this time we do it with a noose. Now, you listen to me. We have witnesses that you borrowed Ted Buck's car at 8 o'clock. You drove out to Mr. Smallwood's house and on some pretext or other got inside. Says you. No, there's two witnesses who saw the car drive into the garage. When you got inside the garage, you hit her with a sandbag. And then ran the car over her to make it appear as an accident. Then loading her into your car, you drove across town to Kenwood Way and dumped her out. That's a lie. Uh, I'd uh, suggest, Captain, that you be a bit more careful in arresting my client. These things will have to be proved, you know. After all, you failed to show motive. Hello? Yeah? Who? All right. Thanks. Now, uh, as I was saying, I... Pardon me just a moment. Hello, Tim. Send the desk sergeant to my office with a couple of murder warrants. Right. A couple of... couple of what? Murder warrants, Egan. Murder warrants. That was the insurance company calling. It seems that in addition to managing Mrs. Smallwood's affairs... You also took three insurance policies out on her life, naming yourself as beneficiary. And Egan, there's your motive. Police headquarters. Just a minute. Police headquarters. Hold the wire, please. Uh, something for you? Uh, I'd like to see the captain on duty. Who's calling? Uh, tell him it's Dr. Thornton. Dr. Thornton? Yes. Just a minute. Captain Wells. Is it on business? Yes. Oh, hello, Captain. Dr. Thornton to see you, sir. Okay, sir. Right down the corridor, the second door to your left, Dr. Yeah, thank you. Captain Wells? Yes? I'm Dr. Thornton. Oh, come in, Doctor. Take that chair over there. Thank you. Captain Wells, I want you to find my wife. Your wife is missing? Well, yes. Of course, it may be... Well, I don't know. When did you see her last? The night before last. She left me waiting at the lobby of the Churchill Hotel. And I haven't seen her since. Why haven't you reported the matter sooner? Well, I kept thinking she'd return. You see, well, we weren't on exactly friendly terms when she left... I thought she was probably trying to punish me. What do you mean by that? I meant that we'd been arguing. You know, one of those husband and wife affairs. I didn't consider the matter serious, but when I called all our friends and they hadn't seen her and she didn't come home today, I thought it best to notify the police. Yes, well, you did exactly right. Do you know of any reason for her disappearance? Yes, I do. She carried $160,000 in her handbag. What? She's carrying $160,000 in her purse when she disappeared. And you waited almost two days to notify the police? Well, I, I tried to explain how it was. 
I thought that she was just staying away from home to make me worry. Just a minute, Doctor. Yes, Captain. Come in, Bradford. Sit down. This is Dr. Thornton. How do you do? How do you do? Dr. Bradford is one of our best men on this kind of work. Glad Dr. Thornton's wife has disappeared. Yes? Yes. The last time he saw her, she was carrying $160,000 around in her handbag. What? That's exactly what I said. Well, now that Bradford is here, Dr. Thornton, I want you to tell us everything you can about her disappearance. And also, I want you to tell us how she came to be carrying a sum of money like that around on her, in her purse. It uh, was in bills? Yes. Bills and negotiable securities. Hmm. Well, start at the beginning, Doctor. Well, the, the day before yesterday, my wife sold a valuable corner to one of the big stores. She had the money from that deal with her when I met her for dinner. She said that she felt like celebrating, so we went to the church. It was there that she got mad at me for dancing with a friend of ours and walked out on me. We joined the party later, and everything seemed all right. She still had the money? Yes, I, I saw it several times during the rest of the evening. And she made quite a flourish when she handed the waiter a big bill for the dinner. Well, but anyone could have seen it. Yes. Well, go ahead with the story, Doctor. Well, we left the dining room and went out into the lobby. What time was this? About 11.30. She excused herself, saying that she'd be back in a minute or so, and I haven't seen her since that time. You asked about her at the hotel? Yes, I asked the head waiter and the woman in charge of the ladies' room. They hadn't seen her. What did you do then, Doctor? I figured she was still mad at me and it slipped out. She'd done it before, so I just drove home and went to bed. And the next morning, she was still missing? Yes. What did you do the next day, Doctor? Well, I inquired around at all our friends and finally drove down to our ranch at Palomar to see if she'd spent the night there. She hadn't. Oh, I see. What do you think about it, Bradford? Well, I don't know, Captain. She might just be out staying with friends, as the doctor says, seeing as how she'd done it before, but that $160,000 changes the look of things. Mm -hmm. That's my idea. What's in the morgue? Well, there haven't been any unidentified bodies for a week, Captain. Well, you take Dr. Thornton back to the Identification Bureau and have Powers issue a general description of the woman. Get it on the radio right away. Send a picture and a story to the newspapers. And get the commercial radio stations to broadcasting for her. We'll need some quick action on this thing. Well, what's new, Brad? Not much of anything, Captain. We're doing everything we can to find this woman, but it looks like a hopeless case. If you ask me, the dame's been bumped off. Why do you say that? Well, because no dame with 160 grand can stay out of sight for very long unless she is bumped off. Hmm. What did you find out on the east side? Well, Evans and I talked to every stool pigeon we know. There's no sign of heavy dough down there. And if a regular pulled the job, we'd know it. And if she's been killed, you figure the job was done by someone that we don't have a line on. Right? Sure. Why, one of the... Detective Bureau, Captain Wells. Now put her on. The woman in charge of the ladies' room at the Churchill wants to talk to me. This might be... Hello? Yes. Yes, this is Captain Wells speaking. I see. Yes. Yes, we do. Hmm. Well, well, thanks for calling. Something on the Thornton case, Captain? Yes, the woman in charge of the ladies' room says that she's been reading the newspaper account of the disappearance and that she is positive. Mrs. Thornton didn't come in at all the night before last. Uh-oh. And what's more, she says that Dr. Thornton didn't come around asking for his wife like he claims. Uh-huh. Stay here. Yeah, I'm thinking the same thing, Bradford. Now listen. 
you hustle out to the Churchill and see the head waiter. Find out if Dr. and Mrs. Thornton were there on the night Mrs. Thornton disappeared. And be sure to ask him if Mrs. Thornton paid for the dinners with a large bill. Right, I'll be back within an hour. That's the stuff. Hello. Uh, hello, Evans. Listen, I've got an important job for you. I want you to dig up all the information you can on Dr. Wallace Thornton. Yeah, the dentist. Find out how much he earns, where he banks, how his credit is, and above all, try to find out if he has a safe deposit box in any of the banks. Take a picture with you. He may rent the box under a phony name. a message. Yes. Squires called me home. I was just starting to undress. What's up? Well, I talked to the head waiter, and the guy tells me the doctor and Mrs. Thornton did not throw a party in the hotel that night. Uh, just as I thought. After that, I went to the garage where Dr. Thornton keeps his car and made a few inquiries. I found that they had filled the gas tank the night of Mrs. Thornton's disappearance, and the next morning after Thornton had used the car, they had to fill it again. I won't be satisfied until I know where all that gas went to. Why, Brad, you don't think that... I don't know, Captain. These torch murders are getting pretty popular these days, and gasoline, you know, makes a good fire. Yes, I know. Then there's another possibility. Dr. Thornton mentioned something about a ranch of his near Palomar. It'd take just about a tank of gas to go there and back. Say, I thought that maybe you'd be interested in driving down there with me tonight, Captain, to see what we can find. my report, Chief. Good. That completes it. The only thing we lack is the body of Mrs. Thornton. See, I didn't get in on Evans' report, Captain. What'd he find? Well, now, here's the whole case, boys, the way I have it summarized. Evans found out that Dr. Thornton has a safe deposit box at the security under the name of Farstead. That box recently contained a huge stack of bills and negotiable securities. When we unlocked the box, however, they were gone. Gone? Yes. But Evans dug up the information that Dr. Thornton had recently paid a bonding company... $150,000 on a 12-story office building that he's been planning to build for some time. Now, we've traced every source of the man's income. The only place that money could have come from was from Mrs. Thornton. Uh-oh. Yes. Dr. Thornton made two trips to his ranch. He made one the night Mrs. Thornton disappeared, and another, the one he told us about the next morning. Bradford and I talked to the caretaker. He says that he isn't sure, but he thinks that he heard a car shortly after midnight. He told us that Dr. Thornton came in the next morning and didn't ask about his wife, but saddled a horse and rode out into the hills. Later, the two of them did some work about the house, laying some uh, flagstones and cementing the bottom of an old cistern. That... Yes? All right, send him in. Now, we'll have to work fast, boys. Dr. Thornton just came in. We'll talk to him in the next room. Come on. You sit over there, Evans. Right. Take this chair here, Bradford. Yes, sir. Now, leave everything to me. Come in. Oh, oh, come in, Dr. Thornton. Have a chair. You know Detective Bradford, I believe. Yes. This is uh, Detective Sergeant Evans. How are you? You uh, wanted to see me, Captain? Yes, yes, I did. We've uh, discovered several new things regarding your wife's disappearance. She's not... What do you think, Doctor? How should I know what to think? Well, I'd think that you'd have a better idea than any of us, Doctor. However, let it pass. 
We've just found out that neither you nor your wife were at the Churchill Hotel the night she disappeared. Well, yeah. We found out that you, under the name of Farstead, had a safety deposit box at the security. That's not... Now, don't interrupt, Doctor. We found out that your own bank account was rather small, but that two days after Mrs. Thornton disappeared, you managed to pay $150,000 on an office billing which you've been planning for over a year. I saved that money, every cent of it. <laughs> Did you? Dr. Thornton, I'm going out of here for a little while. I'm going to leave you all alone with your conscience. What are you going to tell them now, Doctor? Let me know of your little scheme, Doctor. What are you going to tell them now, Doctor? They know that you weren't telling them the truth. They know you're lying, Doctor. What are you going to tell them now, Doctor? Let me hear now, Doctor. Why don't you tell them the truth? They know you're lying. What are you going to tell them now, Doctor? Two hours, Doctor. You're getting tired. Three hours, Doctor. Four hours. Five hours. Six hours. They know you're lying. What are you going to tell them now, Doctor? What are you going to tell them now, Doctor? Ten hours. You're getting tired, Doctor. Why don't you tell them you killed her? Admit it. Admit it. Admit it. Down in the captain's desk, there. There's pen and ink before you. Right, Doctor. Confession, Doctor. Right, Doctor. Right, Doctor. That's it, right? Right, ah. Dr. Wallace Thornton killed my wife for her money and buried her body in an old system. Sign it. Sign it. Sign it. Now, the gun, Doctor. The gun. That's it. The gun, Doctor. Wait, Scott, I forgot about that gun. Why, look. What? Here's a signed confession, Captain. He's dead, sir. Yes. His conscience was too much for him, Evans. Welcome back. Well, we got an example of the brilliant dialogue that has been lost from criminal of ages past. And I intend to learn from that. So next time I get a critical review, I'll just say right to the reviewer, says you. <laughs> uh, just kidding about that. Uh, I have to say that the... Uh, uh, Mrs. Thornton case, really, that ending was weird. You know, when I was listening to it, I thought maybe the police were setting him up, pretending to be the voice of his conscience, which sounded kind of silly. But the way it ended with his conscience actually um, speaking into him in an audible voice to sign the confession and then kill himself, that was even more silly. Even sillier still was the fact that that even though the police captain didn't know that he kept a loaded gun in his drawer, and why would he do that? Um, the, his conscience had x-ray vision, apparently, and was able to locate it. I'm trying to think if we've had a cheaper way to get rid of a suspect, but I don't think that uh, we have... Uh, heard it yet 
All right. Well, that will do it for today. Uh, coming up tomorrow, be sure, and uh, if you have video theater to be watching, we'll be bringing you an episode of Beverly Garland in Decoy. And we'll bring you a total of three episodes this summer. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And uh, if you have a voicemail or would like to talk about the show, you can call us at 208-991-4783. That's 208-991-GREAT-D. But from Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.